You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my very good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, the Milwaukee Bucks are undefeated in the Eric Bledsoe era. And we uh, we held it in for, you know, a couple days here. We, we didn't emerge <laughs> the pod after the win in San Antonio, which was obviously a nice win over, granted, a Spurs team that was miss- is still missing Kawhi Leonard, but a Spurs team that continues to, you know, win games at an above average rate i'd say so never you never feel like a win in san antonio is cheap so that was obviously a great way to to start the bledsoe era despite i guess as of today he still hadn't actually practiced with the team i want to say like yeah is that right like he still yeah, hasn't had correct. an actual practice um and then obviously to come back on saturday i mean it wasn't a uh, a work of art let's say against the lakers <laughs> um that is but, very kind of you frank <laughs> to only go that far yeah, it wasn't a work of art, but um, again, that was you know a Bucks team taking care of business, um, not making it too dramatic in the end against a Laker team that obviously stylistically can be maybe a little bit hard to play against because maybe they play more up tempo than maybe the Bucks are used to or even want to play. Um, I know I'm sure the Bucks will say that oh yeah we want to we want to run and blah 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 because no team wants to admit that they can't run with you know a crappy lakers team but um but obviously it was a bit different lonzo had a hot shooting night um and the bucks kind of weathered the storm and Giannis was Giannis. i mean what you know we, we're, we're like probably gonna like stop talking about Giannis that much when he puts <laughs> up just 30 30 plus points on on a given night and you know, we, we don't want to be numb to it, but um, I legitimately thought he had no flow and just did not look good on Saturday night. And then it was like, oh, 33 and 15. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. He, started, he definitely started off um, it, it kind of until he got those like two easy dunks late in the first quarter. It felt like he did not have much rhythm in yeah, that game. And totally then, agree. Um, he just sort of willed himself into, <laughs> into I, I was gonna say he, he just he just kept inserting his will at certain times yeah. just that it wouldn't be all the time but just all of a sudden just asserted yeah. a little bit and yeah. okay this is my game just so you guys know yeah and i mean i thought kyle kuzma did a very respectable job on him i mean kyle kuzma i thought yeah was very impressive for the lakers um wish wish i you know and again the bucks would have been killed if they picked kyle kuzma at 17 based on where he was projected but um he's one of those guys that you know he's ahead of dj wilson and a whole how the hell did the whole league miss on him shooting threes i don't know well i mean he didn't shoot them well in college you know um, are you know what i mean like everyone missed on that that that's like yeah. the one the one thing in this draft i'm attempting to figure out because i whew, that makes a huge difference for a guy that can do all of the other things that kyle kuzma can do like if that guy can shoot threes yeah that's probably a lottery pick and he just kept Fallen and fallen, and the Lakers got a good one. But it, I mean, I had definitely going into the end of the year, I had no idea. Um, but then he just tore up summer league and has just kept it going. So again, I I don't know how how college scouting works or how that all happens, but man, that will that will remain a mystery for me yeah. for a little while. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, like at this point, you know, at some you know at some point, you kind of feel like, well, it's not a fluke, given that. He shoots confident. He plays confidently. Yep. Um, it's not like he's just hitting a bunch of threes, and that's that's all he has. I mean, he has fluidity, and um, I think defensively, he's good. I mean, I I heard because I mean, again, I didn't see Kuzma at all in college, and I just remember hearing suggestions that well, maybe he isn't a good defender. Uh, so far, I don't know. It seems like he's a very good all-around player, and and obviously, I, I think the most impressive thing is you know you look at his size, you'd think oh well, he's a stretch for. Um, you don't want him playing on the wing at all, but I mean, he's played small forward for them and and actually held his own and and been fine there, which I think 
says a lot about his skill level. So I, I don't I mean, know. I, anyway. I, he, he's the Lakers' best asset by a wide margin. Wait, you think he has more trade value than Lonzo Ball right now? I do. I don't think he does. You well, don't think unless so? people unless people really hate Levar Ball. No, I don't think so. I mean, Kuzma's what three years older than Lonzo too. Man, uh, I, I just just with the way that he plays and the things that he can do, the size that he can do it at. Man, like that's just a modern NBA player, and I, again, I I love watching Lonzo Ball, but man, Kuzma is fun. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Well, I'm I'm sure Laker Nation would much more happily lose Kuzma than than Lonzo, but <laughs> I think it'll be interesting to watch over 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 a longer period. I think it, it, they're a fascinating team, right? Because guys like Julius Randle, guys like Brandon Ingram, their stocks are let's say pretty fluid. At this point, as assets, <laughs> yeah. Julius Randle is, you know, in part because of Kyle Kuzma, and also just because he needs to get paid, and obviously with their desire for cap space, um, obviously his his value will will maybe be revealed pretty soon, given that he could be traded um, in season. And then um, Ingram's obviously a guy who, you know, didn't look good at all last year, has I think shown a lot more flashes um, this year, and remains very young. So um, I don't know. We'll see. I guess, but. Um, I, overall, I'd say difficult to complain about a back-to-back win over the Spurs and Lakers. Um, and I'd say the other piece of this, maybe this can be, I mean, should we get kind of get into Eric Bledsoe specifically? Because certainly Eric Bledsoe, on the one hand, I think has flashed some of the tools, athleticism, burst, all those things that we knew he had. But also, you know, a couple of uneven games, especially shooting the ball, his legs, I'd say, you know, <laughs> win not seem to be there which is probably to be expected of a guy who basically spent two weeks off and just working out yeah i don't know how much he was working out but tough to simulate you know game shape when you're literally not even with a team so um it's difficult to say the 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 first weekend of eric bledsoe is not a success given it's about winning games and you know i think he showed his impact on both ends but um i I don't know i mean what was what were kind of were there any kind of big surprises for you either positive or negative from these first couple games even kind of adjusting for expectations given given he hadn't been doing anything the last couple weeks um i just will probably remember for bledsoe's entire tenure with the milwaukee bucks asking him post game kind of how his how his legs felt and how difficult it ended up being going from not playing for two three weeks to going right into a back-to-back and he's just like looked at me he's like I thought it was going to be easy and just started laughing and it was like yep okay um I, I would agree it, it did not look easy for you um in these two games because obviously I, I don't think he really had maybe even in the first game I don't know if he had legs he certainly didn't have legs uh in that Lakers game uh so that to me uh, I mean I think it makes it a little bit difficult to exactly grade what what he looks like but i mean that that first alley-oop to to Giannis, like that lives forever right like <laughs> i i don't know how you can do something better uh more memorable in your first game as a milwaukee buck than throwing an alley-oop over your head and and letting Giannis come and tomahawk at home so um i think that right there probably speaks to um, the excitement and that that upside that you just kind of feel watching this team now, and then I think some of his threes that goes off that go off the backboard, um, some of his threes that air ball, um, just kind of some of the the spacing issues and stuff you, you saw in that Lakers game uh, while he was on the floor. That probably reminds you of some of the the perils that came with adding Eric Bledsoe to the roster and kind of how he might fit. So um, I, I think there was there was good and bad, but I do think what we're seeing now is kind of an adjustment period. You're going to see the the Bucks attempt to figure out how he fits in and how they're going to play now. And I know throughout the weekend, Giannis has been has been talking about how easy things are now for him that things are easier that he's not taking the the hits that he normally takes that he's not taking the beating uh that he had taken at the start of this year and i I do think that that's a big deal that your your star feels like he's getting 
uh, is having a, less of a toll put on his body each each and every night because I mean that's kind of the thing that can hold up MVP seasons that can really come back to haunt you in the playoffs. Obviously, we heard James Harden talk about how by the end of the season he didn't feel like he had enough in his legs, and that's why they add a guy like Chris Paul. Obviously, this isn't to the same level. Eric Bledsoe wasn't Chris Paul, but you can kind of see that and understand why a star player would want to have more people around, more people that can create and take some of that burden off them. So um, I think you can see some of that, but. The offense wasn't good these two games. <laughs> um, as as much as you may see uh, and think, man, the Bucks really got out and ran, and they were so much so fun and exciting. Like they got two wins: a ninety four eighty seven win against the Spurs and a ninety eight ninety win over the Lakers. But again, they didn't score over a hundred points. It wasn't particularly pretty on the offensive end. So there's some growing pains to go through in that regard yet, but. Um, like I said, uh, I think that alley-oop lives forever and kind of is where that hope would spring eternal, that from that alley-oop you can just kind of extrapolate forward and imagine all of these great things that the Bucks might go through with Eric Bledsoe on the squad. Yeah, he had a number of plays uh, on both Friday and Saturday where you know he showed off just sort of that ability to just you know, have that use that explosive first step and get to the rim and, and finish and, and obviously his effect you know, his efficiency was nothing to write home about in either game, um, in large part because, you know, what was he one for ten on threes I think in, in the two games combined. Uh and as you mentioned, some of those were, you know, um let's just say not the kind of misses that you would expect from a guy that uh has been at least a semi respectable three point shooter yeah. in his career. So hopefully that is just, you know, again, you, you don't expect him to be a 20% shooter all of a sudden um but uh but certainly that's something that's you know we're gonna we're gonna need to see from him if the Bucks are gonna become um take that that step up in that next level offensively um you know and keep in mind too obviously uh Mirza Toledovic being hurt you know takes away some of the floor stretchiness given he's probably the guy who you know I think if you certainly look at the attempts per minute from distance he's the guy that obviously gets up more threes than anyone he's obviously been shooting it well so Mirza being out um you know, again, uh, both games this weekend. I think what he's probably out the next one or two games uh, as well. It sounds like. Um, I think that certainly probably plays a little bit into some maybe some of the offensive struggles. Again, you know, not that they're going to be a bad offense as long as Mirza Teladovic is out, but um, certainly from a floor stretching standpoint, that that it impacts you. Um, and obviously, yeah, I mean, if Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe, who are your nominal, you know, number two, number three scorers. If those guys are not efficient and, you know, Chris didn't shoot the ball well again uh, on both Friday and Saturday, uh, if that happens, then, yeah, you're you're not going to be that effective offensively in all likelihood. Um, that's that's just the way it's going to be. Chris, 6 out of 14 for 13 points uh, on Friday. And then um, on Saturday, he was 3 out of 13. He, he was 1 for 3 from, from deep, 6 out of 6 from the line. But, you know, again, 13 points on 13 shots. Um, not that, great. That's obviously not not great. Um, so uh, again, I, I think certainly there's probably some some noise in that. Um, Tony Snell didn't really do anything on uh, on Saturday um, either. So hopefully we will see um, you know guys kind of reverting obviously to to more of their normal form, especially from a three. Um, but obviously at this point, you know, even with basically most of the roster, other than really Malcolm Brogdon, who I thought. Um, you know, basically from after the first half on Friday, he struggled coming off the bench in that first game with Bledsoe, but then gave them really good minutes, um, especially making plays like sort of, you know, helping carry the offense while Giannis, I think, was getting some rest late in the third, beginning of the fourth, I want to say, um, in San Antonio. Uh, and then he carried that over again on on, Fri- on Saturday, sorry, um, and played pretty well uh, again on, on Saturday. So obviously with Brogdon... Um, you know, being effective, and again, it didn't put up big numbers uh, against the Lakers, but um, you know, or, or the Spurs, but but you know, just being that kind of steadying influence uh, and being a guy that you know you can rely on. He's not gonna, you can't carry an offense or anything like that, but um, but obviously better than putting the ball in Delhi's hands. Although Delhi actually played, he was great on Saturday in both games. So um, so yeah, I mean, team wins, and I, I think the most interesting thing probably is as much as the offense is probably you know low end of, of what you'd expect from them offensively um, you know again three point shooting just 5 out of 18 uh, on uh, Friday and then just uh, 6 out of 23 from deep on Saturday so didn't shoot a ton of threes didn't 
make very many of them either. Um, and especially on uh, Friday, they also really struggled from the foul line. Just seven out of 14 um, from the field, or sorry, from the foul line, um, that issue uh, raising its head. But defensively, uh, you know, for the first time this year, we can say that defensively, they, you know, the, that end of the court really carried them to a couple wins. And, um, you know, I think Bledsoe at least did his part by, um, you know, bringing some of that kind of strength and athleticism to the point guard spot. Not that they were bad defensively at the point in Frank, particular. But... the Bucks can get through a screen at the point of attack. <laughs> it is amazing. Oh, my gosh. That was the first thing that really stood out to me watching Bledsoe. Like, he can just get over the top of the screen. He doesn't need help. Like, he, he can just do it. And that is incredible. I, 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 I was trying to think... Who's the Bucks' quickest point guard? Like Gary Gary Payton? No, no. I sorry, I phrased that wrong. Eric Bledsoe was the Bucks' quickest point guard since. Oh, uh, I, I don't know. First person that came Ish to mind Smith? was Smith. Oh, well, if you count Ish Smith, probably. I but was, I, say I was like, thinking T.J. Ford. T.J. Ford is probably the the obvious guy, except obviously the difference is Bledsoe has you know twenty pounds and is a lot stronger than TJ was. So, um, it doesn't have a career ending spinals situation. Um, and it wasn't over a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. crazy is that? It has been so long since you've seen someone do that so easily. Um, I, I, I just watching that game against San Antonio. And again, San Antonio might be a team that the Bucks are going to look particularly good against defensively anyways because they're not a team that relies a lot on the pick and roll. They go through the post, they go through the elbows, things that aren't going to really tear at the seams of the Bucks' scheme. Um, they're not kind of putting them in compromising positions in the pick and roll. They're trying to do things through ball movement, and the Bucks can have some moments there where that their kind of defensive scheme can, can look good there. So maybe I, I want to... I want to express how hopeful I am for the defense, but also at the same time recognize that those are two teams that the Bucks could look good against. Um, and obviously at times on Saturday, they didn't <laughs> look good against the Lakers. Eventually, the, the defensive rating for the game was very good. Um, but ultimately, I, I didn't think that there were certainly times where they looked bad. So, um, But yeah, I'm hopeful. Bledsoe, man, is, is to me... Uh, a game changer at the point guard position, but also point guard defense may not be that important for having an overall defense. I just feel a little bit more confident now that the Bucks can turn it on defensively when they need to. I don't know that this is going to vault to a top 15 defense. Uh, I, I don't know. I think right now in defense rating, they're around 20. Um, so, so maybe they bump into that middle third rather than uh, the bottom third. And uh, I don't know. It, it, it's tough to it's tough to figure out exactly what this what this defense will become because obviously um, I, I think we spent much of the first ten games of the season complaining about the defense and complaining about how bad it looked, and then they put up their two best defensive performances of the season. And you were talking about it as well: the steal numbers, the turnover numbers look better over the weekend as well um so so maybe you can expound on that a little bit but yeah it's tough i've been i don't want to say fooled before because i think we've we've been very skeptical of the bucks defense on this podcast throughout our time uh covering the bucks so i think i'm going to remain very skeptical but it was an encouraging weekend from a defensive standpoint yeah the bucks hadn't had double digit steals in any games uh in the first 10 games um, they come back and get 10 steals against the Spurs on Friday. They get 11 steals against the Lakers on Saturday. Total turnovers, uh, and this is just player turnovers, so this doesn't include um, like shot clock violations. So I think, uh, especially against the Lakers, I think they added a couple that way too. But um, just total turnover numbers via basketball reference. Um, season high 18 on Friday, then a season high 21 on Saturday. And, you know, this is the thing that we were saying. I mean, the Bucks when if you play aggressively and you don't you know get turnovers you don't stop the ball at the point of attack you're you're not doing anything then, then at that point really right i mean that again and and i think you know there are a lot of questions that 
you know i think the numbers would say you're making losing trades on a lot of these things that you know is the whole reason why there's all the skepticism about the style of defense the bucks play but um it goes out the you know everything goes out the window if you don't force turnovers and stop the ball initially <laughs> like mm-hmm. cause that's stuff you have to do so um you know, I, I don't know. I mean, can the Bucks force enough turnovers in a league where turnovers are going down because teams are getting smarter and shooting more threes and, you know, may, being less susceptible to to turnovers? Um, that's a big question. And certainly two games are, is not going to change that, um, especially, you know, with a Laker team that isn't very good and, you know, plays up and down and can get pretty sloppy. Um, and a Spurs team that, you know, maybe you wouldn't say that about them, clearly. They're, they're obviously a much more veteran team with, you know, the best coaching in in maybe the history of the sport but um but you know again they're not going to just outclass you on a given night given their personnel right now so we'll see um you know i think the spurs in particular like there were times that game where they really hunted out open threes like they hit some cross-court passes they worked around the ball with their ball movement um you know they took 29 threes which is seven more six or seven more than their average they do not shoot many threes um they were able to get some threes um, but only hit nine out of 29. Those Lakers only hit six out of 22, obviously shooting 22. That's not a big number. Um, but you know, again, I, I'm also not going to say, Oh, the bucks were just lucky in these two games that teams didn't hit threes because, you know, as we pointed out, the, like, the bucks have been unlucky in terms of teams hitting lots of threes in those first 10 games. And, um, you know, the good news is that those numbers were bound to come down. And we talked about basically, you know, they've probably been giving up an extra three pointer a game, yep. an extra three points, um, just on teams shooting probably unsustainably high uh, rates against them. Um, so we'll see. And I, I think um, all the Bucks uh, on Twitter also pointed out that um, teams have also been shooting. Uh, the Bucks' free throw defense has been very bad. And I don't mean in terms of fouling, but that compounds it because teams have shot a very high percentage from the free throw line. Um, at least up until the Laker game, when teams were, when they shot very poorly, the Lakers were 22 out of 37. So um, the Bucks' fouling problems were still front and center. That was a season high 37 free throws allowed. That issue is is not gone, even though they were better on <laughs> no. Friday. Um, but the Lakers only hit you know 60. percent But um, you know between those two numbers, free throw percentage and opposing three point percentage, you know there's at least some upside there for the Bucks' defense. But again, you know they started the weekend 28th or 29th. They're up to 20th now. Um, I think they have to obviously get a lot better before you're going to look at this team and say it's anywhere close to kind of maxing out its potential. And Bledsoe, as we said, you know, Bledsoe's not going to solve that problem, but he can help. And I thought, especially against the Lakers, there were times where the Bucks just sort of, it was just sort of like the Bucks just seemed to position themselves in ways where it's like the Lakers were almost, they almost, like there were a few plays on the perimeter where the Lakers just sort of like stopped and they were trying to figure out like, Okay, what do I do? Um, yeah, and and that's a that's a good sign defensively when it isn't just flagrantly obvious, like oh, you know, pass here. Over, yeah, pass it over the top or make that simple pass. And again, this is a young team, so you know you don't want to say like oh, now the Bucks have a championship defense or something like that. But um, but at least I think better signs. Um, obviously, turnovers turning into some easy buckets. Um, you know, Bledsoe and Giannis both getting those those breakaway highlight reel dunks. Especially Giannis going around the world for uh, for that that dunk that he had uh, in the third <laughs> quarter. And uh, I think that just that third quarter in general, um, you know, Giannis in particular making plays, um, blocking shots, uh, stealing the ball. Uh, the defense finally looked like it was suffocating for at least mm-hmm. brief periods of time. Um, and, you know, again, kind of scary to think maybe how bad the offense would have looked without just some of those easy buckets. But, uh, you know, again, at least better signs. And it's pretty awesome seeing Eric Bledsoe pick up two, like, at-rim blocks uh, on Saturday. Uh, you know, that was something you thought you, you, you associate more with his days when he was, you know, pre-injury in L.A. as a spark plug off the bench, just, like, randomly exploding for blocks in the paint. That um, one he fought over with Giannis, like, where they both went up for it, and he yeah. some What? I was not expecting that. Like, I didn't think he still had that. Um, yeah, crazy. So, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, obviously better signs from the Bucks. Uh, we'll see how all this stuff kind of evens out. You know, you, you obviously there's always some adjustment process uh, um you mentioned a little bit with Giannis I don't know I mean again like there's probably less of Giannis you know bringing the ball up obviously when Bledsoe's on the court but in terms of you know his usage obviously he's been used a lot as a role man he's been used a lot as an elbow catch as a pick and roll 
or sorry, as a, a post, you know, especially post guy, especially uh, in mismatches. Yep. Um, so it's not like he's, you know, dramatically going from a James Harden role into, you know, a big man role. I mean, he, you know, didn't get tons of pick and rolls as the ball handler anyway. And, you know, we still saw some of those uh, in the last couple of days, which, you know, again, teams have generally been pretty, pretty effective at sort of snuffing out because you just sort of bring the, the guard to hedge. And, you know, obviously Giannis isn't pulling up for long jumpers usually. So, um, so yeah, things are changing. And obviously if you can win games while things are changing, um, that's really encouraging. So, um, you know, obviously big, big shout out, especially to Giannis for just, you know, again, continuing to play at his really high level because, uh, obviously you have, a lot more margin for error when you have a guy like Giannis who can make such a big impact on both ends of the court. Yeah, I, I just remember thinking throughout that Lakers game, like, okay, I, I haven't really been in this position before, but in a, on a back-to-back, on a game where you're just playing a, a generally garbage basketball game against another team, and I, and I thought that's largely what Saturday was, in those games the good teams who have more talent than other teams not just teams that are that are better constructed that are winning more games just teams that simply have more talent should ultimately win those games and i, I was just curious watching the first half like it, it was generally pretty even and the bucks clearly didn't, didn't have any legs and in my mind i was thinking okay they can just out talent the lakers that at some point at this pace, the Lakers should make more more mistakes. They should be unable to make as easy of baskets as the more talented players on the Bucks, and they should win out at some point. And that actually happened. Like that that was pretty much to me what the third quarter was about was the the style of play remained the same, and the Bucks were just better basketball players than the Lakers. And I I, I can't think of many times in my entire life watching the Bucks where they were just simply the more talented team and even in a garbage basketball game they were just going to end up coming out on top and and that's largely what they did and that is something that makes getting to some of those goals when we talk about winning 45 when we talk about winning 50 when we talk about getting to that next level that's that's the kind of stuff uh, the second game of a back-to-back you simply just out-talent the other team. Even if you don't have legs, you just will yourself to that victory. And I thought that's largely what they did on Saturday night, and it was exciting. It was It's, it's something brand new and great to watch. So um, I think there's some of that, and I guess as I look at stuff, uh, I, know, um, I know one of the major talking points from from people nationally and we talked about this a little bit last week was that oh the Bucks should be pushing more with Giannis and they should get out and transition more and I think with the Bledsoe alley-oop and stuff like that I think people are going to want to say that oh the Bucks are really pushing it on the break and like part of me just thinks like I don't know that the Bucks are doing anything different Eric Bledsoe is just literally faster than Matthew Delvadova or Malcolm Brogdon. Like, he can just move faster as a human being. Like, I, I don't... And I'm curious to think about the changes you see in this team, um, how things change offensively and defensively, where ceilings change, and I guess how style of play changes. And, and I, I largely didn't think over the weekend the style of play changed that much. Like, Bledsoe is much better in transition than those two guys because he can move faster and he's more athletic. Um, so there was some change there, but I don't know that they look to push more maybe a little bit um so did you see any style of play changes and then do you see how they're going to win change how they're going to win games changing at all and what i mean by that is i know earlier in the year i mentioned okay well this is a team that is going to have to outscore teams because they're not going to do it defensively so offensively they have to find a way to get closer to that upper echelon and i know before we started this podcast i told you that i think there's some potential even though they had a a really crappy weekend offensively um that this team maybe has some potential to get to that top five kind of spot offensively with this talent out of bledsoe with the bench game better offensively do you see any changes in any of those things whether that style of play how they're going to win basketball games how they play anything like that well, first off, let's dial back. You, you had a comment that 
the Bucks can now hopefully, or, or I don't know if it's hopefully or just that they can, but they can defend at a higher level when they need to. I think that was, I'm paraphrasing what you said. Oh, before we started recording? No, I think you said it during the podcast as well. And I, first off, I mean, I think that, I hope that that's not the way that they, I hope that that's not how they approach it. Cause like to me, like it's one thing if you're like the Cavs and you're some like veteran team that, you know, can literally just outscore everyone but the, the Warriors basically. Yeah. Um, that you can sort of say like, well, like we'll, we'll turn the screws in, you know, the second round of the playoffs. And then, you know, our real test is just, you know, in the finals or something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, this team has to, defend consistently i think to i mean like what do you you know if if you're this team like you're trying to be a top four seed you're trying to be a really good regular season team because you've never been that with any of these any of this personnel obviously any anytime recently you've never been a really good regular season team you know you need to be a top half of the playoff bracket team to make sure you get home court because that is going to matter for a young team like this and that is going to matter in terms of avoiding the, the other good teams, you know, in the first round of the playoffs. So, um, so I think, you know, it's I'm not, things like, and, and I'm not saying they should try to outscore teams. I yeah. just think with the scheme, with how much effort you have to exert, I just don't know that they can do that night in and night out. I do know, however, though, that players are typically quite motivated to play well offensively. Um, so yeah, the, I would love for them to decide to be a lockdown team and have that all work, but I just don't, think that's going to happen if that makes sense like I, I think it's very realistic for them to be a better offensive team than defensive team and that's how they end up winning games but that that's just kind of the way i was seeing it sorry yeah yeah i mean i, I, mean, I guess my main thing is like i just don't want us to like lower the lower the bar i guess defense i don't know that's not like, i know that you're just trying to be real realistic but um Again, I mean, if this team is a 15th-ranked defense or something like that, I mean, I think then I hope I hope the view of the front office and ownership is that that's not good enough. Yeah, like we're it's we're not totally even close to good enough. Yes, right, right, right. Um, because I think that you know, again, like, and we can talk about like, oh, they need a you know a bruiser option at at, in, at center or something like that. But I mean, they don't need that to be a top 10 defense. Like, honestly, like in today's game, like you know, if if they're relatively healthy. Um, they don't need, you know, the, whoever, you know, Rudy Gobert to be to be a yeah. top ten center, or or you know whatever. I'm mean, obviously people people have asked us about this a fair bit, and no, nobody's suggesting they get, that they're going to go get Rudy Gobert. It's obviously people tend to have you know more realistic targets, but um, but yeah, I think it's interesting to see how this kind of all shakes out. I mean, I'd say in I think in our conversation, I think you're probably a little more bullish on the offense, although. You know, when you said like that, this could be a top five offense. It's kind of funny because like I was like at first, my reaction was like, "Oh no, like, come on, top five offense, no." But then I was like looking at the teams that are actually like really good, and it's like, well, the, the top teams that, the top three are going to be the top three no matter what. Yeah, I mean, the top three teams right now are the top three teams you probably would expect to see in there. It's it's Golden State by a mile, <laughs> then Houston, then Cleveland, and I mean Houston hasn't even had Chris Paul. Yep. Um, and Cleveland has been kind of you know screwing around a little bit. They don't have Isaiah Thomas back yet. Um, I think they are going to score a lot of points. Um, are they going to be as good as you know? Maybe they could be with a team that you know has more shooters and you know less Derrick Rose and 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 less Dwayne Wade. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think Wade can probably still work now. That he's coming off the bench, but um, but I guess we'll see, right? Um, but those three teams obviously have a high bar, and then thereafter, yeah. I mean, it is it is kind of a lot more of a free-for-all. I mean, right now it's, you know, Toronto, Clippers, Wizards, Indiana, Orlando, Detroit, New York are the rest of the top 10. The Bucks right now sit 13th. I'm using just ESPN's rankings, but, um, but you know, should be similar more or less on, on all of them. So, yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, you know, are the Clippers so much more offensively talented than the Bucks? No. You know, the Wizards? The Wizards have three dudes you know know, and none of these teams uh, you know shout out to Blake Griffin and John Wall but none of those teams have I believe a guy who's as talented as as Giannis um, and who's who's putting up numbers with the efficiency of a guy like Giannis and and so yeah I I think there is upside and I think you know again with Chris Middleton kind of still struggling um, to to shoot the ball well um, 
that you know we haven't even talked about Jabari Parker, but I think I think <laughs> Chris just Chris by himself and Bledsoe, you know, just regressing to sort of his mean, even if he's like hitting thirty three percent of his threes. Yep. Um, I think those two guys just being close to what they've historically been. That is a sort of, potent offense. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if, if you're not a top 10 offense, given that last year this team was close to a top 10 offense and, um, you know, the talent they have and Giannis making this another huge step, um, I would agree. I mean, it's got to be a top 10 offense and, and maybe it can be, you know, in that, that five range uh, offensively by the end of the year. It's it's possible. Um, I guess we'll kind of see how things kind of shake out. Um, you know, again, Bledsoe and, and Middleton have to be better. And I think, you know, again, if they were, shooting better this weekend i'm sure the offense would have been a lot better but um but yeah and i think like defensively that's to me that remains the question i have a lot more confidence in the bucks being a top 10 offense than a top 10 defense as do you obviously yep. um and i think the main thing to underscore is like that's not because it shouldn't be that bucks, way yeah that's not because the bucks don't have the talent to be a top 10 defense i think they have the talent at this point to be top 10 in both offense and defense but um you know it, we obviously our, our view is is largely informed by history and the fact that <laughs> the bucks have it's been so long since the bucks were a very good defense yep. so see. so i i want to try to frame this in a different way and and see what you think is it a failure this year if the bucks are not top 10 either offensively or defensively and that just an abject just failure um well i mean if they're 11th in both i think you'd probably get to a pretty good you know record at the end of the day but i would say you're still underachieving for sure right like Um, like to me i think you one of those two and again i understand maybe if you're a young team and you can only get yourself to actually physically play on one side but with all of the talent that they now have i just i just think it would be a huge waste if you're not top 10 in one of those two categories like I, i just it's difficult for me to imagine. There's so much talent on this team now, and and I would I would take it a step further and say you know if if at the end of the season the Bucks are not around you know if the Bucks are not top ten in both, then we should say the Bucks underachieved. Full yeah. stop. Right. And yes. And I mean, I, I'm sure the Bucks would rather finish eleventh and twelfth and win a playoff series than you know finish sixth and seventh and lose in the first round or something sure. like that. I mean, I think. I think probably the ultimate gauge, the more, you know, the bigger gauge of this season will be, you know, can they win a playoff series? Um, but, you know, what's going to, what's, what, what will affect their ability to win a playoff series? Well, having a really good offense and a really good defense and, you know, translating that into regular season success, which means that you play a worse team in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, that's, yep. that's obviously the whole, the whole point of this. So, so yeah, I, I think that, that absolutely has to be the goal. And it's nice it's nice to be able to talk about that as a realistic goal um, because, you know, even even Friday, Saturday, obviously we saw how the Bucks could could stagger their, you know, their their talented players. And um, I have to say this. I was initially, I thought I was pissed off when I saw Matthew Del Vadova come to the scorer's table on Friday as the first guy off the bench. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, Same. are you freaking trolling us jason and I, th- like, I think we can say our all both of our timelines were totally full of that like everyone yeah. that watches the bucks was like come on yeah i mean that was that was like really disappointing because i mean you know the obvious implications like wait a minute so you bench brogdon in bledsoe's first game when he hasn't even had a chance to practice brogdon's been your second best player so far and now he's not even the first guy into the game like what <laughs> what is what um but i think you know in hindsight you know i think you look at it and first off you know the good news is on friday you know tony snell brogdon uh they both play over 30 minutes delhi i think played what 20 minutes i want to say on friday i think um 20 exactly and so ultimately like i think the way it worked out was basically you get Delhi on the court with better players right because he's coming in and he's not there's no semblance of him having to you know be one of the guys who really has to do a lot i I think unfortunately i think Delhi probably still handles the ball too much and and you know he's probably still overly involved in the offense (laughs) realistically um but you know sort of the the flip side and this used to be the argument for starting him you know like last year i know we had this debate like well 
you probably need to start Deli just because you want him on the court with Giannis and Chris as much yep. as possible. So he's sort of just being like this, you know, guy who's catch and shoot, and he's you know the, using his the job starter, the, yeah, the Mark they, Pope starter, yeah, right. And and he's using his dirty tricks to set picks and things like that. Um, so I think you know, and and I'm sure many people will still be displeased. If, and I think the real interesting thing is going to be as the Bucks get healthy and kind of find more of a rhythm and Bledsoe. Bledsoe's minutes go up a little bit. Um, you know, how does all this kind of shake out? But um, in, in hindsight, especially after seeing that he didn't actually play a ton of minutes, especially, you know, on Friday. What did he play on Saturday? Um, I think a few more. Oh, no. Only 15 minutes on Saturday. I yeah, thought he played more than that. Yeah, so he played, I think, 20 minutes on Friday, 15 minutes on Saturday. I mean, that's the number we've been we've been saying 15 to 20 minutes max, you know, ideally closer to 15 sort of since the start of the season obviously yep. thinking being that you know Brogdon can play 30 plus Delhi just give him the rest of the minutes and then don't play them together um, probably the weirdest part was I mean there was a stretch where Delhi Brogdon and Bledsoe were on the court together and I don't yep. know if they ever played together on Saturday but they played together at one point on Friday which was just strange <laughs> um, yep. but uh, I, I don't know we'll, what we'll is- see I mean I think the good news is like clearly Delhi is out of the down the stretch rotation, right? Unless, um, unless kid finally realizes that like he doesn't have to always play a center late in games, which you know it seems like he views Henson as kind of the security blanket, even when teams kind of go smaller. Which I don't know. We'll see if he realizes that you don't always need Henson in the game. Um, but uh, I think you know certainly for the most part, it seems the closing lineup at this point moving forward is is probably going to be, obviously, Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, Giannis, and then, you know, I guess likely Henson since he's your your closer. Um, But, you know, fill in the blank, whoever whoever the big guy is um, with those four. So, unfortunately, that doesn't mean, you know, many late-game minutes for Tony Snell in all likelihood. But, um, hey, you know, I I think your best five, um, especially if a team is not playing all that big, um, your best five would be Snell being in there for – for Henson and obviously yep. that gives you a lot of options in terms of defensive versatility and shooting and and you know obviously Giannis just being the, the fulcrum of it all yeah I don't think we've gotten to I'm pretty sure we haven't seen Bledsoe Brogdon Snell Giannis Chris I don't think we've seen Giannis at center since then but I wanted to ask you it does seem though we saw a number of lineups where Middleton was the four in these two games um, yeah. I think that was Toledovich was hurt though, right? That was my assumption was that that was more of a Toledovich adjustment. That's kind of what I was thinking too. But I'm just curious: is that something you think Chris can actually play? Because um, when I first saw it, and I think it, it really stood out on uh, against San Antonio when it was. I'm trying to think. I tweeted out that lineup: um, Delhi, Liggins. Uh, shoot, who is the three? Deli, Liggins, and maybe Snell? Um, and then Middleton and Henson. And it was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa okay. The, this, I'm all for experimentation, but this has gone just slightly too far. Um, but do you think Middleton can play some small ball for? Like, is the league small enough now that that's a spot where you feel confident with Chris because again I mean he's not a small guy he's six foot eight um do do you think that's a position he can play yeah I I don't I mean that's not something I worry about that much I mean we saw him I'm just thinking back to like the the first Cleveland game like him getting switched on to love a number of times um I think he's smart enough that you know again I don't worry about it that much um and and yeah I mean given his size and the relative size of, of fours in a lot of lineups now um I certainly don't don't have a big concern about that, and um, I mean it's funny. Remember Middleton's first season that there was actually was, I think he actually did that a yeah, little bit more, and then we haven't really seen that just because obviously Giannis and and Jabari when he's been healthy have obviously gobbled up most of those minutes and and, and they've really just like shifted him down to shooting guard yeah. like from yeah. four to a two. Um, okay, so well, they, here's the, and here's the crazy part that lineup um, that lineup on Friday that you mentioned, which again like you know. I feel like people just instinctively like look for lineups to complain about. Um, it was a ten four run in three but, minutes. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that 
that that actually is like a, just a bizarre lineup that to me makes very little sense um, because again like you you shouldn't have minutes where neither Brogdon nor Bledsoe is on the court at this point and that was um, I think that might have been the only time in that game when neither of them was on the court and it ended up being this really weird lineup with yep. you know like in Snell being the kind of wing guys who don't you know can't do anything with the ball um, and then Middleton. Uh, Della Vadova and, yeah. and Henson and the fact that they were you know have this 10-4 run um, <laughs> is just really strange but I would chalk that up much more to good luck than you know yes. any of it in foresight um, so I, I guess looking forward um, obviously we the Bucks have a game that we will talk about uh, here tonight um, as most of you listen to this on Monday morning uh, you're going to have a Memphis Grizzlies team come in uh, a team that started off the year strong um, and is set, sitting at seven and five on the season um, what what are you is it still kind of the same thing where you're just looking game to game and how teams match up or are you now in your mind starting to think bigger picture does that make sense um like now that the blood so move has been made do you start to move to larger picture stuff because i sort of find myself starting to do that like like i just mentioned like thinking about okay is this a top 10 offense is top 10 defense how does this fit in crunch time what are some lineups that you could use to really throw other teams off rather than just going from game to game do you find yourself doing that at all because that's definitely where my mind has started to go over the last week yeah i I don't know i mean i'm i'm still trying to figure out like what is what is real with this team you know and 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 12 games in everything is still feels small sample size ish yep um and and obviously now with Bledsoe coming in like especially if you want to look at lineups and things like that it's obviously tough because suddenly you you insert Bledsoe and we just don't have much data on on Bledsoe um there there are a couple of like major lineups that he's been in that have been just like ridiculously good defensively and not that great offensively um but again like all that stuff's going to going to average out uh, a fair bit so kind of hard to to really know what to make of it um and i, I don't know i mean the grizzlies are going to be a good test because the grizzlies are not an outrageously talented team um you know their team obviously that has the the kind of two key guys in, in conley and gasol who you know are are obviously the cornerstones of, of what they do and they're super smart and savvy. apparently timeless like they will just timeless. never stop being good like they're just exactly. great all the time Exactly. Um, th- those guys have obviously been great, um, but other than that, I mean, the Grizzlies are, are a team that they've kind of cobbled together a lot of wins. Um, they've lost three of, let's see, um, four of seven at this point, um, and ag- again, they've alternated wins and losses last five games. Um, they're they're coming out four straight games on the road at the moment, so they've been away from home. They beat the Clippers in LA. They lost to the Lakers not great as we know um they beat the blazers by one and then they got housed by the the rockets the other night and um have been susceptible i mean you know again this defensively they played really well early in the season they've been certainly against some of these better teams being exposed a lot more um but it'll be interesting to see kind of how this team plays they certainly shoot a lot more threes um they've gotten very good contributions from their bench um chandler parsons has been disturbingly good to start the season and they've got you know Tyreek Evans kind of looking more like you know again not rookie or Tyreek Evans necessarily because he's a bench guy right now but he obviously brings shot creation and Dylan Brooks randomly has been good as a rookie so um, they've been getting a lot of you know contributions from their bench which I think it'll be interesting to see over a longer sample size you know is that kind of maybe some noise and some luck um, or or is that going to be kind of more sustainable um because obviously you look at them and you certainly generally bet on everything kind of revolving around you know the two the two main guys and and everything else you know sort of um is uh is is a lot more uh let's say not something that you're necessarily going to be able to count on so um so i I don't know i mean we'll see it's i think it's a good test because this is a team that obviously they have caught i think teams napping at times um they're seven and five they have a really good coach in David Fisdale. And, you know, again, this is a, a game that I think you would be disappointed if the Bucks lost just because from a talent perspective, you know, I mean, this team has been making, getting by with a really sketchy guard rotation at times. Mm-hmm. Andrew Harrison has been prominently involved. Um, 
and they've been missing Jermichael Green as well. Um, so I think certainly how they defend Giannis uh, is is obviously a, a major question for them. But um, they're obviously you know one of these teams that you know you you like to think, hey, we we should be better than these guys. Let's show me that you can go beat them. Um, and, and so I think it'll be interesting to see kind of if the Bucks can kind of pull it out because again, you'd hate to kind of lose that that positive momentum, but. Then again, I mean, you know, we talked about the offense being bad. We, we have not seen Eric Bledsoe and certainly Chris Middleton at their best since that the move. And hopefully, hopefully at some point the mean reversion kicks in for those guys. And um, hopefully that obviously maybe gets the Bucks closer to at least that offensive juggernaut that maybe they could be at this point. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm excited to see this team progress in the next week is how they start to figure out how they play with each other and with Giannis I don't think that's ever really a concern because Giannis scores in so many ways and the game can be so easy for him at times that I mean I I didn't feel like he had a great game on Saturday and he has 33 and they were all pretty easy baskets there there was a bunch of dunks and he's catching alley-oops and he's going baseline and and there's so much easy stuff for him that you don't necessarily worry about him but it's all of those those guys in the the pecking order two through four Malcolm Brogdon has seemed relatively unaffected by this outside of the first half of the Spurs game that second half of the Spurs game and all night Saturday night I I thought he was great Middleton has obviously been very much affected by this trying to figure out how he fits into a new role and again we've always 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 talked about maximizing Middleton and trying to get him to shoot more threes and getting him more looks from behind the line and and using him in more ways and I think again things do get easier for this team offensively but also the ways in which you maximize a guy like that when you do have two on-ball creators like Bledsoe like Adetokounmpo that you you have to use Middleton in that way. You have to send him off screens. You have to be able to get him looks by the three-point line. You have to be able to do all these other things to fully maximize him and to fully make this offense go. So I will be, I will continue to be fascinated by how this Bucks team tries to do all of those things, how you integrate Bledsoe with Middleton, with Adetokounmpo, uh, with Brogdon, like how you get all four of those guys kind of rocking at the same time. And then on top of that, how does Tony Snell keep getting good looks? And how do you use him? And de- there's there's so many options, and there's so many lineup combinations, and the Bucks are going to continue to experiment with all of those. Um, obviously, they didn't get the benefit of a preseason to figure out how these kind of pairings work together, so we're going to continue to probably end up seeing some weird stuff from time to time, but... I just think this is an incredibly exciting time to be watching the Milwaukee Bucks because there's some added talent, a clear upgrade um, in the talent uh, pool, and this is just really fun. (laughs) I'm I'm genuinely very excited to watch the Milwaukee Bucks every single time. And during the first ten games, I think there was times where I would not have said that, where it was the the defense was not doing well, and it, it was. It was just kind of frustrating to watch them. And now I think that, like I said, there's that kind of hope springs eternal kind of feel. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's where I am. Um, any other closing thoughts, Frank, or are you good? Well, I need to sink I was just going over the Grizzlies number. So Dylan Brooks has, has come back down to earth significantly. The guys who have who have played played well, uh, obviously mentioned Tyreek Evans, mentioned Chandler Parsons. Um, both those guys are, uh, you know, probably playing above their heads or have been uh, to start the year. They're both have true shooting marks above 60%. Brandon Wright also, I mean, kind of forgot that he signed with Memphis um, because of, you know, injuries kind of derailing uh, him last year. And, and was it, did he sign the year before last? Maybe I, I, I can't remember exactly, but I think he signed last summer, summer before last. Um, but he's been good for them. And, uh, you know, you look at the rest of the roster, James Ennis is shooting 68% true shooting terms as well. He's been good. Um, so I think the, the obvious question is, like, how do they stop Giannis? I mean, that's going to be the question on most nights. Um, you know, the, with, especially with Jamichael Green out, they've been kind of patching together, um, you know, the, the, the forward combination. James Ennis has started, and Jarrell Martin has been starting the two of them together um, on the wings. Uh, so, again, those guys are kind of more athletic, mobile guys. They're not particularly like enormous strong 
superstar defensive type guys necessarily, especially Martin, who you know a lot of people thought was, and I think they even told him they expected to cut him coming into camp. Um, so again, I think you're going to obviously lean heavily on uh, on on Giannis, and then I think it's going to be a really interesting test for Bledsoe to be going against Mike Conley because you know yep. these are a couple guys that um, you know are in that sort of um, Bledsoe at his best. You know, I think would could make an argument for being in Conley's sort of general weight class, at least in terms of starting point guards. You know, Bledsoe, unfortunately for him, hasn't played on many very good teams, whereas Conley has you know, generally been the guy who puts up lesser numbers but on very good teams. Um, but I think that's obviously going to be a, a very good test because um, certainly uh, those guys, uh, you know, are very familiar with each other in the Western Conference, and, and obviously hopefully Bledsoe can get his shooting legs a little bit here uh, starting this week and, and hopefully start to be a little bit more efficient. So um, it'll be interesting to see. And then obviously I think, you know, Gasol going against the Bucks, um, the Bucks bigs, you know, um, I thought, I thought Thon Maker had some better moments the last yeah, couple of games. I didn't want to um, say anything. You know, I think he didn't like uh, against the Lakers. He really didn't try to do anything offensively until he had that and one opportunity that was a nice um, play. off of closeout, which was actually a nice play. And actually, you know, again, he's shown so little in terms of like looking to do stuff with the ball and looking natural with the ball. So it was kind of encouraging to see him do that. Um, missed one three badly, but I thought I just thought defensively. Um, you know, a lot of times when the Bucks defense is going well, it's because, you know, the bigs are, are moving in the right way and they're, you know, handling pick and rolls better and, and things are, are generally kind of working out well. So um, hopefully that's kind of a sign of maybe Thon getting a little bit more comfortable. And obviously Thon, if, you know, the perimeter defenders don't do their jobs and don't get over screens and don't play well, um, it, it obviously makes the big guys' lives a lot more difficult. And Certainly, especially against a guy like Gasol, Thon does not need anyone to make his life more difficult because Mark Gasol is has all the ability to make Thon Maker's life difficult as is. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll see kind of how things go. But you know, I mentioned we I think we mentioned it last week, but the most common Thon lineup with the starters, um, you know, and again, I know he's not starting right now, but with the old starting five, I mean, the defense been in solid. that lineup has been good. Um, yep. So. Hopefully, with these kind of new lineups, we'll kind of continue to see Henson and, and Thon be able to at least do enough, you know, to not let their maybe lack of ideal strength, you know, hurt the Bucks. And you know, as we pointed out, I mean, by most measures, the defensive rebounding hasn't been a huge problem. Um, and I think over the weekend, they were very good um, in that department in both of those games. So um, we just need more sample size at this point, right? Like we just yep. need to see this team play together and just sort of see how it works out. Cause I think, I think we've seen enough from these guys and we know enough about Bledsoe to, to kind of, as we said, have high expectations of this team. And, and you have to hope obviously that that's the standard they're being held to. Um, but now we just need to see them go out and do it. And obviously you hope that Bledsoe can integrate himself quickly because if he can, and, and at least there were signs of that certainly over the weekend, then um, this becomes a very fun team to watch. All right, Frank, I think that's going to be it for us for today. Um, Hopefully that helped everyone relive the weekend and get ready for another Bucks game. I will admit this entire podcast, my Kuzma take has just been eating at me because it it was... It was too hot. It was much the too heat hot. Of your Kuzma take. It was too hot. It's been eating at me this entire podcast. I've not been able to take it off my mind. So I, w- I would like to pull that Kuzma bit Kuzma take back. Uh, so if you've lasted all the way to the end, I'm, I apologize for that. Uh, it was it was a little bit too hot. Uh, but I'm a big Kyle Kuzma it's, fan. It's kind of funny though, because I mean I think we're a long way certainly from Kuzma being more valued than Lonzo, but. Um, like Kuzma versus Ingram, I think is a fascinating question that would yeah. probably make Laker fans very uncomfortable because obviously it speaks to Kuzma, you know, establishing that he's a, an NBA, a good NBA player very quickly. Yeah. But it also kind of makes you worry because it's like, damn, is Brandon Ingram like less valuable than the guy we picked at twenty seven or twenty nine or wherever they got him? You know, I mean, yeah, that's if, a if, it's a hairy question. Yeah, <sighs> I mean, if if Ingram and Randall like are basically like guys that you know become, geez, we'll have to use them to get rid of these ugly contracts like Luol Deng or whatever. Um, it's not great. Kuzma, yeah, I mean, Kuzma sort of enables some of that thinking, but 
it's not ideal. And obviously, you know, obviously, in Bucks fans, right? Like, I think that we don't have to get into this now, but I mean, if the Bucks become a top, you know, six or seven offense with with the current kind of rotation and lineup. A, when Jabari Parker comes back and if he can kind of reintegrate himself as like a six-man, let's say, um, and he gets his legs kind of hopefully somewhat quickly, that's pretty exciting because you're adding Jabari's offense to a team that's already good offensively. Um, But it also kind of raises the obvious question of like, well, big picture, long term. How does this all work? Yeah, how how much, you know, how do you kind of balance this roster? Like where do you need offensive firepower? You know, what kind of defensive pieces do you still want to add? And most importantly, just like, you know, what kind of trade-offs do you want to make? Because obviously with a guy like Jabari, he brings kind of starker offensive-defensive trade-offs than pretty much anyone else on the roster currently. So. Frank, I will say this. I'm excited to have that conversation. And just not now. <laughs> just not now. But also, I'm just excited that I can be excited about a conversation like that because that means the Bucks have very good problems. I'm, um, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of being <laughs> tired of talking about the Bucks defense being bad. So... For the love of God, Bucks defense, like go live up to some vague sense of your potential. <laughs> All right, that's gonna be it for us for today on Locked on Bucks. That was Frank. I'm Eric. We will talk to you after the Milwaukee Bucks play the Memphis Grizzlies. I didn't make a prediction there because I didn't want to jinx anything. So we'll see what happens. Uh Bucks undefeated in the Bloodso era though, so we'll talk to you guys tomorrow.